Jonah chapter 3, we'll read the whole chapter and then uh, go to the Lord in prayer. The Bible says, And the word of the Lord came unto Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go unto Nineveh, that great city, and preach unto it the preaching that I bid thee. So Jonah arose and went unto Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceeding great city of three days' journey. And Jonah began to enter into the city a day's journey, and he cried and said, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. So the people of Nineveh believed God and proclaimed a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them even to the least of them. For the word came unto the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne, and he laid his robe from him and covered him with sackcloth and sat in ashes. And he caused it to be proclaimed and published throughout Nineveh by the decree of the king and his nobles, saying, Let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Let them not feed nor drink water. But let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and cry mightily unto God. Yea, let them turn every one from his evil way and from the violence that is in their hands. Who can tell if God will turn and repent and turn away from his fierce anger that we perish not? And God saw their works, that they turned from their evil way, and God repented of the evil that he had said that he would do unto them, and he did it not. What a chapter. Let's pray. God, we ask this evening as we come to your word again uh, that you would help us to stay focused, um, that, that we would understand the story as it is given to us, um, but God, we would also understand the applications of the story for our own lives. We thank you for your, your steadfast love, God, for your graciousness and your mercy that's seen not just to Jonah in this scenario, but also to these wicked people of Nineveh. God, may it be a reminder to us that, that you have shown us great mercy and grace and love. And God, I pray that as we understand that, we would then strive to live in that and that we would share this with others who need the very same things that we have needed in our lives. So use your word tonight, God, to comfort us, to challenge us, uh, to draw us closer to you, and ultimately to make us more like your son, Jesus Christ. And we promise to give you the praise for all that you do. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Where in life has God given you a second chance? I want you to think about that question uh, for a couple of minutes, and I'll give you a chance to respond. Um, Jonah was facing a new opportunity in Jonah chapter 3 to walk in the ways of the Lord again. He was spit out on dry land from the belly of that great fish, and now God was speaking to him again. And if it wasn't enough of the mercy of the Lord just to spit him on the dry land, God could have had him there and then said, Jonah, I'm done with you. You're on your own. But we see in this chapter that God gave him a second chance. He, he spoke to him another time and gave him the, the very same command to go to Nineveh. And uh, I, I think flying through the air with whale vomit all over you would cause you to stop and think for a moment, hey, I need to turn some things around in my life. And I think it did that for Jonah. And so it appears that in chapter 3, at least for chapter 3, that Jonah begins to get it. He begins to understand some valuable truths about himself, some valuable truths about God and his uh, unrelenting love, not just towards Jonah, but also towards the people of Nineveh. We'll see that Jonah's heart and attitude is, is not quite what it should be again in chapter 4, but at least in chapter 3, uh, we see that he is obedient and he does go and do what God has called him to do. And so I'll ask you that question again. Uh, where in your life has God given you 
a second chance. Anybody have any thoughts on that? Some of these stories are often personal, but if you guys didn't know, it's okay to be personal in church. It, it actually really is. It's actually a good thing. Anybody? Rebecca? That's awesome. If you couldn't hear, she said it's, it's her, her marriage to Seth. And the first marriage she had was um, she was married to a, a very mean man. Um, and she wasn't expecting to get married again, but God gave her that second opportunity. And to do it in the right way, to do it God's way, to a man who loves the Lord, um, that's a great blessing. So thank you for sharing that. Anybody else? Annie? That's incredible. We love that story. Um, if you couldn't hear Annie, she said she grew up in a family that, you know, looked to God, but uh, after she went out on her own, she um, was in, finished nursing school and joined a cult and uh, eventually made her way out of that cult, and God gave her a second chance. Um, that's a second chance, amen? That's a second chance with God's mercy. Yeah, yeah, I think that's true. Somebody else? Story about a second chance in your life. I'm not talking about the buffet line. You know, I got a second chance to get everything I wanted. Anybody at all? Well, if you think of something else as we continue on, certainly you can stop me at any point because um, these kind of stories, they help us understand each other better um, and they help us understand our God a little better. And so as you think through your own life, um, I, I hope that you can pinpoint a time where you've received a second chance. And so as we, as we think through this chapter um, today, uh, we're going to see that Jonah got a, a second chance. And I, I hope as we look at his second chance, it will cause us to understand again how God has been merciful to us as we see his mercy poured out upon Jonah. And I pray that, that we would see his mercy towards us even as he pours out his mercy on the Ninevites, a, a wicked and cruel people. As we look to this chapter in Jonah, some things that I think that we'll be able to pull out um, is, are these, uh, that God has a steadfast love for those who are far from him. If you think about the Ninevites, they were a wicked people who hated the Israelites and, and wanted to destroy them. And yet God's message to them was, hey, I'm, you're going to be overthrown, right? And we're going to see this a couple different times. Jonah's message that we have recorded was very simple. 40 days and Nineveh will be overthrown. Who thinks that was the sum total of everything Jonah said? I just want to see a show of hands. Phew. I think there was a lot more. I, I think we get the, the Cliff Notes version. Um, that certainly was a part of it. And that was the main message that these people needed to understand. Hey, there's somebody bigger than you. There's somebody who has more power than you have. And his name is God. And so 
in Jonah's preaching, there was an, an implication or an implied um, call to repentance uh, because there was somebody that was going to overthrow them and they needed to, re- needed to repent before this very someone who was God. And so his steadfast love for those who are far away from him is evidenced in chapter 3. The second thing that I think we can pull from this is that his mercy towards those who are his is a powerful thing. Now, God's mercy to the Ninevites was seen in the preaching of repentance, really the preaching of destruction. God's mercy towards Jonah was seen in that he was trapped in the belly of a fish. God went to great lengths to get Jonah back, didn't he? He did miraculous things. We understand that any time repentance takes place, and people come into a relationship with God, it's a miraculous thing. But was there anything miraculous per se about Jonah going and saying, 40 days and then it will be overthrown? That's not necessarily miraculous, right? The repentance piece afterwards was, but the whole scenario with Jonah from the time he entered the boat till the time he was on dry land is a reality of God's mercy towards this man whom he loved, this man who was his prophet. And God showed his power in Jonah's life to bring him back to the place that he wanted him to be. The third thing I think we can pull from this is that uh, God did not change his mind or his heart towards Jonah. What did God always want Jonah to do? Go to Nineveh. Go preach. But he did change his decree against the people of Nineveh. Jonah went with a simple message, 40 days and you're going to be overthrown. Yet in that message, they saw the mercy of God. Now, does this mean that God repented and that his thoughts towards the Ninevites were sinful? Well, no, because God can't think sinful thoughts, right? His repentance is, is really a change of heart and a change of mind, and that because of their repentance, he was willing then to show them mercy. And so if you have questions about that idea of God repenting, you see it in the book of Exodus. If you're familiar with the, the children of Israel, you know, as, as uh, Moses was seeking to get the children of Israel out of Egypt and Pharaoh's heart was hardened and all these things. Uh, the, this same language or similar language is used there about God changing his mind. And it's not that God changes his mind like we change our mind. Sometimes we use human terms to describe uh, a, a, an immortal God and we do a great disservice to our God because God doesn't change his mind on a whim like we do, right? He changes his decree, so to speak, when he sees the repentance come into the lives of these people. And then finally tonight, we can see in this chapter that repentance is an appeal to the mercy of God, not the justice of God. If you repent and say, God, I just want you to do what is just, then what's going to happen to each of us? (laughs) We'll be demolished, right? But repentance is always an appeal to God's mercy. Uh, It was an appeal to God's mercy with Jonah as he was in the belly of the fish. It was an appeal to God's mercy as the king declared this decree for everyone to fast and everyone to put on sackcloth, wondering or thinking that this God could turn and repent away from the fierce anger so that we will perish not. And so it's, as we go through this chapter tonight, um, God had brought Jonah back to where he wanted him to be. The, the fish spit him on dry land, and there Jonah found himself having a new awareness of who he was and a new awareness of who God was. And this new awareness, this, this prayer of repentance that we saw in chapter 2, then propelled Jonah to go on and do tonight what we see that he does, which is preach this message to the Ninevites. So we're going to go through these 10 verses and uh, see what we can draw from them this evening. 
Verse 1 again says this, And the word of the Lord came unto Jonah the second time, saying, The second time. I, I love how Jonah puts that in there, because if he is the author of this book, or if he was relaying the story, he could have kind of just started things over and said, And the word of the Lord came to me, and he said this. But by adding the second time, what is Jonah describing about himself? He wasn't willing. He's hard-headed. He was stubborn. He was rebellious. He, he was angry, as we're going to see even in the end, at God because he knew what God was going to do towards the Ninevites. He, he was um, recognizing for all of us to see this idea that it took God coming to him on two occasions to get him to do what he was actually going to do. And so the word of the Lord comes to Jonah a second time. Um, as we think through this idea of God speaking to the fish, as we saw in chapter 2, and then speaking to Jonah in chapter 3 again, what does God always desire when he speaks? Obedience. Simple obedience. Simple obedience, where we push our will out of the way and we seek to do God's will regardless of what it is. That's what God desired in chapter 1 when he gave the first command for Jonah to go. And that's still what he's desiring in chapter 3 and verse 1 as he hears the voice of God again. This idea again of the word of the Lord coming a second time, it reminds me um, kind of of how we, we speak to our kids sometimes. If I've told you once, I've told you a thousand times, right? Don't do this thing. And I, I feel like that's in some ways what God has preserved for us about Jonah here as Jonah pens this story, like, God's word hasn't changed. God's decree towards Jonah hadn't changed. His desire towards the Ninevite hadn't changed. And though we see the language is used here of the idea of God repenting, I think even God's ultimate desire in this story had not changed. His desire was for Jonah to go, and his desire was in some way for the Ninevites to repent and turn to him when they understood the truth of the God that he was. As we think of the word coming to Jonah a second time, if you were laying on a beach, just vomited out of a fish, covered in who knows what, laying there in the sand, and God spoke to you again, how would that make you feel? Small? I think that's good. How about relieved? Oh, like, I thought I had blown that one, God, right? Like, anybody else? Any thoughts? Grateful? Yeah, thinking you should be dead. Um, would it make any of us feel foolish? Like, why did, why did Jonah end up where he was in the first place? Because of his disobedience to God, and yet God showed him grace. Any thoughts on verse number one as we think through this verse together? I know there's not a lot there, but I like to give you the opportunity. Evan has something. I can see it. His mind is working. <laughs> if it's in verse 10, please don't mention it yet. It's <laughs> All right, we'll go on to verse number 2. So again, in verse 1, And the word of the Lord came unto Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go unto Nineveh, that great city, and preach unto it the preaching that I bid thee. When Jonah heard the voice a second time, do you think there was any part of him that was saying, God, please don't tell me to do the same thing? I know that I just prayed and repented inside the belly of the fish, and I know I, I, I vowed vows to you in the belly of the fish, but God, I really don't want to go to Nineveh. 
We know that spirit was still there because we see it in chapter 4. And yet the word of the Lord came to him again. And as God started to speak, Jonah was hearing the same words. Turn back to Jonah chapter 1 in verse number 2. The Bible says, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry against it, for their wickedness is come up before me. In chapter 3 and verse 2, Arise and go to Nineveh, that great city, and preach unto it the preaching that I bid thee. Interesting that there's a little bit of a change in the the message that Jonah says that God gave him, but nevertheless, the decree or the command was still there to arise and go. Jonah, you're, you're not called to do what you want in this scenario. You see that that didn't work out last time you tried it. You're called to obedience, to do what I have called you to do. And isn't obedience been one of the commands that we've seen all throughout the Word of God? I mention it often, but it, it just I love the parallel that it draws into the New Testament. Matt even mentioned it this morning, that Abraham believed God, and when he believed, what did he do? He left. He left everything he knew. He the, one of the wealthiest man, men who lived in that day hey, said, I'm going to pack everything up because God's told me to go. And where am I going? I'm not really sure yet. And yet, it seems there are many other stories in the Bible that we could look to where that first step of obedience in the life of somebody who, who is having some sort of relationship with God is that there's a call to action. And we see that again here when God says, arise and go. It's interesting that as we think about the rebellion of Jonah, we understand that it did not distract God from his desires. He still had the same desire for Jonah to go. You ever, ever remember playing those games as a kid, if I can just distract my parents enough with my obedient, disobedience, then maybe they won't make me do the thing that I really don't want to do. God doesn't get distracted. He doesn't get pulled off his game. He doesn't get pulled off of his desires. And, and Jonah's disobedience only prolonged what was going to happen in the end. And how many of you have said that to your kids? Right? You're only making it harder for who? We say for themselves, but really it's really hard on us. Well, you're only making it harder for yourself right now. And uh, in some sense, they are. They are making it harder for themselves. But Jonah also um, was, was testing God's uh, unrelenting mercy, his, his great patience towards him. And we understand that God did not give up on Jonah. Um, but the rebellion of Jonah did not distract God from his desires But the rebellion of Jonah did cause Jonah to do the very same thing that God had told him to do in the first place, but only after he had gone through some very, very hard things. And I think, again, we could see stories like this in the Word of God in other places, where the desire of God was still brought to fulfillment or still brought to fruition only after the person that God had spoken to rebelled against God in some way because their self-will was getting in the way. And I I think we could all probably resonate with verses 1 and 2. We might might not like to share our stories of second chances, but we all have stories of second, second chances where God has said, hey, I want you to do this thing, and we may not end up externally in the belly of a fish, but who's ever been in turmoil inside when you have not listened to what God told you to do? Anybody? We all have. And then what happens? The word of the Lord comes a second time or a fourth time or a hundredth time, and it compels us to understand something about God that he's not going to change. We're not going to wait God out. Um, If you've ever had an argument in your marriage, you guys probably never have. Sometimes you try to wait the other person out, right? I can be more stubborn than they can be, and uh, I'm a pretty stubborn guy. Just ask Brianna. Um, But in a sense, God is the most stubborn of all in a very, very good way. 
as he doesn't give in to Jonah's whims to get God to change his mind. So as, as Jonah hears the word of the Lord again, he says, go, in, uh, go, go and preach unto Nineveh the preaching that I bid thee. And there, there almost appears in some sense that before God gave Jonah a message, he says in chapter 1 and verse 2, uh, go and cry against Nineveh for their wickedness has come up before me. In chapter 3, God says, go and preach them the preaching that I bid thee. It's almost as if, if the message of God wasn't given fully to Jonah in chapter 3 until he did what? Until he went. Do you, do you ever find that God gives delayed understanding of the fullness of his plan for your life until you take the step of obedience to follow him? I think we've all seen that. You say, I'm going to take this step, but I don't know where it's going to lead. I don't know what I'm going to do when I get there. And in some sense, that's what Jonah had to do as well. And so I think him arising and going was a sign of his faith. It was a sign of his reverence. It was a sign of his submission to God. And as Jonah showed obedience, God gave him the full fullness of that message, maybe on the way or when he got there. Maybe God gave it to him on the beach. Who knows? But he saw the obedience of Jonah, and he, he continued to enlighten him as to what he was supposed to do. Any thoughts on verse 2? Annie. So there's a couple thoughts behind that. Uh, in part, it was a great city. It was a big city in size. The, the idea that we'll see when Jonah started to wander around the city, when it says it was a three days journey, that, that's not talking about the journey from the beach to Nineveh, and it's not talking about a straight path through Nineveh, but it's talking about as he would go around the city. It would take him three days to walk the circumference of the city. So that would be a, a fairly large city, especially in that day, um, to go and preach to. Uh, there is, is some um, who say the, the words, the phrase there, that great city is talking about a city of great significance to God. Like this is a city that he desired to have, but it had to come in the way that he wanted it to come. And so I tried to look into that a little more, and I couldn't find a ton to support it, um, but there are those who, out there who would believe that. Um, so interesting thought, but good, good question. Anybody else? Yes, Rebecca. Just do it, yeah. Yeah. Sometimes it's best for us not to know the details. <laughs> Just go. <laughs> yeah, no, that's, that's very true. I like that. Anybody else? Verse 2, Dave.
Yeah, I like that. I was thinking through that uh, this morning as I was thinking through Psalm 13, just this idea that the psalmist comes and four times in the first two verses, he says, how long, Lord, how long, Lord, how long, Lord, how long, Lord? And uh, by the end of the psalm, it's like the psalmist had forgotten about all his woes and he's just praising God. And, and one of the things I shared is that, you know, God, God can handle our questions and God doesn't hang our questions over our head after, he's, after we're done asking them. He doesn't hold it against us. And I think that's the case here, right? God wasn't saying, like Dave was, he wasn't exasperated with Jonah's disobedience. He was just saying, okay, Jonah, it's, it's time to go again. Now, are there places in the Old Testament where we can read where the sins of the people are brought up? Yes, we certainly can see that, but it's not in the way that we bring up other people's sins, right? We're holding, we bring up other people's wrongdoings to hold them against them. God was bringing up their wrongdoings to say, hey guys, just so you remember, we've done this before and it hasn't worked out well, right? You, you've gone down this path before uh, and, and they're, they're brought up oftentimes for two different reasons. Ours would be to hold them against, God's would be to teach another generation of people to say, hey, this is where they erred in the past and you don't want to follow those things, but great thought. Any other thoughts on verse two? Yes, Gina. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 Sure. No. Yeah. Yeah, he's he's not obligated to tell us and oftentimes I think he, he doesn't want to tell us because he sees how stubborn we are in the moment. And sometimes that stubbornness would only grow if the outcome was not the outcome we desired, right? And so in his wisdom, he withholds information from his children. And I think every adult in here at some point in their lives has withheld information from a child that they could not handle in that moment. And we like to think as adults, we can do it. And God is the good father says what? I'm going to withhold this information from you because you're not ready to receive it. Or if you receive it, you're going to do something unjust with it. I think if, if we knew, again, at the, the moment we got saved, God sent us a, a private message and said, this is what your life is going to look like, how many of us would be discouraged by some of the things we would read about? Yeah, I'm, I'm going to go my own way, God. This doesn't look very good. Um, and I think in part, that's what God did here. Um, we know, again, by chapter 4, I'm not, not trying to give you a spoiler alert or anything like that, but... Jonah's angry with the results. And he knew, he says, I, I knew, I didn't want to come because I knew what you were going to do. I knew that they were going to repent. And yet God still withheld that from him in some way because even though Jonah says he knew, did he really know? No, he, that was his fear. What he was expressing as knowledge was actually his greatest fear that these people would repent and that's why he didn't want to go. Man, we made it all the way to the end. Let's just close it and... Uh, Made it through chapter four. We'll just start something new next week. Anybody else? Any thoughts on verse number two? Yes, Justin. Hmm. 
Very good. The very next thing, right? Just do the very next thing. That's good. All right, verse number three, continuing on, says, So Jonah arose and went unto Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceeding great city of three days' journey. And so we see obedience here. Uh, We see that Jonah heard the word of the Lord and he desired to, to follow through on some level with the word of the Lord. Maybe it was out of fear because he didn't, he ended up in the belly of a fish last time. What belly am I going to end up next time if I don't obey, right? So, so he was following God in a reverential way, understanding uh, in a new way, in a new light, the power of God, the ability of God, the, the things that God has on, at his disposal. Jonah arose and he went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Um, but why did Jonah go this time? I want to get into this thought just for a few, few minutes. It's good news. Um, we understand that Jonah went, but why did he go? Do you think it's because he loved the people? Do you think it's because he came face to face with the power of God? Do you think his heart was being softened toward the ultimate plan of God, of the, the people of Israel being alike to the other nations? Um, do you think it was because he was fearful of what was going to happen next? Um, I will say this, obedience out of love is always the best reason to follow God. 100% of the time, obedience out of love is always the best reason to follow God. But obedience for other reasons, if the, if the desire to please God and the love for God is not there, obedience to follow God is still the, the right choice to make. Because sometimes we don't want to do the right thing. But what's always the right thing to do? Obedience. You, you might have those days where you're just like, no, I, I just don't feel like doing it. Okay, so let's play that scenario out. Stop being obedient to God. Um, say for six weeks in your life, where do you think that disobedience is going to lead in a year? To a place that you don't want to be. And so it, it doesn't always have to be, it's kind of like we talk about in marriage, we don't, um, we don't um, love because we're, oh, now I can't remember what I say all the time. I, I'll, I'll get it to you next Sunday. Something about our commitment to love. What is it, what is it, Brianna? It was said at our marriage. You should remember everything that was said at our marriage. <laughs> huh? Stay on your feet, yeah. Anyways, we'll come back to that thought another time. But obedience is always the best choice, right? Obedience to God, regardless of if the feelings are there or not, is always the best choice. And we probably won't fully know the why behind Jonah going, uh, but we do see that he took a step of obedience, and that was a, a good thing. And so I would encourage you in your life, in those places where you, I mean, what does James say? For him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, what? To him it is sin. It's sin. And so the want to might not always be there, but the need to is always there. The, the, the desire might not be present, um, but the, the pushing forward when the desire is absent um, should still be there because we understand who it is that we're ultimately following. And so as I said, this idea that Jonah got up and go was, went was a good thing. He went according to the word of the Lord, and he made it to Nineveh. And again, most people understand this idea of, of Nineveh being a great city was that it was three days for him to walk around the city preaching this message of repentance um, because God was going to uh, overthrow them if they did not repent. Um, as Jonah preached, what do you think his attitude was? 
I'm here, but I don't want to be here, right? (laughs) I just want to do what I have to do and get out of the situation. Anybody ever been there before? Like, we're going to go show our face, and then we're going to leave, right? We got other places to go, other places to be. And I think in some sense, that's what Jonah's heart was as well, only because of what we understand in the end of the story. Any thoughts on verse 3? Have we made it there yet, Evan? No. <laughs> no thoughts? The next one might have teeth, right? <laughs> All right, we'll move on to verse 4. So the Bible says, And Jonah began to enter into the city a day's journey, and cried and said, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. Uh, Jonah went in and he began to preach this message that God told him to preach. Forty days and Nineveh will be overthrown. Uh, we, don't, we don't fully understand, again, the, the fullness of the message that God gave him, but we do know that God gave him a message. And so as he entered in, he was at least at this point doing what God had told him to do. And it was a good message. It was a good message for Jonah to hear. Why? Because doesn't the message of, of, that Jonah was preaching have some significance in the life of Jonah that he just experienced? Repent, or else you're going to be overthrown. And what did Jonah say in the belly of the fish? I've got to repent, right? My life is in shambles right now, and and if I don't repent, I'm fearful of what might happen to me. There's at least hope if I turn to God that he can do something about the scenario that I'm in. And if you understand or remember the words that we read from the king, that's kind of the same sentiment that the king had. He said, "Let's, let's proclaim a fast, and let's throw on sackcloth and ashes, For who knows if God is going to repent of the the thoughts that he has towards us. And so it's interesting that in in the stubbornness of Jonah's own heart, uh, as a a man who was a prophet of God, one who walked with God, one who proclaimed God's message, we see the very same sentiment was also in a wicked king's heart. And that just shows us how uh, how much we still battle the flesh, right? Like Jonah found himself in a miserable position because of his, his desire to do his own thing. And in a sense, that's why the Ninevites were facing what they were facing in this preaching because of their desire to do uh, their own thing. And yet God was, was gracious to them. He sent Jonah. Jonah began to cry, and his message was simply this, yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. Any thoughts on verse 4? Kelly. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I think it's it's there's multiple reasons. Um, the cities that would have been, or the yeah, the cities that would have been in that day, they would have had some understanding of who the God of Israel was. They also um, would have seen evidence of the ability of God to overthrow cities in a moment's notice. How many victories did Israel win that they should have lost? Many. And I'm sure word of those victories spread to other regions. I think, and and this is total conjecture, but I think there was also something significant about a man who had been in the belly of a fish for three days that probably still pictured some of what that looked like, at least on his flesh, to walk into their city and say, hey, you guys better listen um, because God's going to overthrow you if you don't repent. His appearance alone would have been enough 
to cause people to, to look at him and at least wonder. But I think the greatest thing is, is that God had a plan all along and that in some way God was working in the hearts of the Ninevites to understand, hey, there's something greater here because the, the content of the message that we have of what Jonah preached is not very much. But what's the old song say? Little is much when God is in it. And God can use the simple words of a simple man who found himself in a desperate situation to go into another city and say, hey, you guys better be careful because God's anger is boiling over. And you know what's happened in the past with cities whom God's anger has boiled over against. They don't fare well from that. And so you better repent. 40 days and you better repent. And so, again, I think that's why we don't have the fullness of Jonah's message. Um, but even if we do have the fullness of Jonah's message, God can do a lot with simple obedience. And I think that's what we see. And I, I think it's another understanding of that God is the one who turns hearts, right? And we see that all throughout the Bible, that it's, it's God who draws men to himself. And um, in this instance, I think that's what was happening here. And so while they were wicked, sinful people, in reality, they were no different than you and I. And, and why, do, why have we repented? Because God is gracious. That's a good question, and it's something that it's hard to think through and fully understand because we don't have a lot of information, right? We, we know later on that God did judge Nineveh because they did turn away from God again, and God eventually made good on his word that he spoke. I think it was 150 years later when, when all this played out. But for this instance right now, a lot of these people would have been dead and gone. It would have been their, their kids and their kids' kids that would have been alive at that point. But God allowed them to, to find um, the faithfulness of God to be a real thing as they repented of their sin. Good thought. Hopefully that confused everybody. Anybody else have any thoughts? Delbert. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. I mean, you think, of, you think of the disciples in early Acts, how many people got saved with simple messages? And what, did, what was a lot of the content of their messages? Hey, you guys screwed up, but there's another guy that you should look to, and his name is Jesus. And by the way, you crucified him, but just so you know, that was all a part of God's plan anyways. So um, you should turn to the one true God, and, and thousands of people turn to God again in those instances. Annie. Yeah, it is very strange. It's a, it's a very intriguing story about um, God's, God's steadfast love. And he had steadfast love for Jonah, and it appears that he had steadfast love for the Ninevites as well. And uh, as God sent Jonah to preach this message, things changed in the hearts of the Ninevites as they turned to God. Dave.
Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, for them to be overthrown, they were a city that overthrew, right? And so what would one of their biggest fears be? To be overthrown. When you're the, the big man on campus, right, you don't think anybody can do anything to you. But when a prophet walks in and says, hey, guys, 40 days and you're going to be overthrown, it caused their, their minds to think in a different direction, to think in a different light as they thought about the, the past of Israel's history and the the strength of the God um, that they served and worshipped. Good thoughts. Anybody else? All right, verse number five. So the people of Nineveh believed God and proclaimed a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them even to the least of them. And then verse six. For the word came unto the king of Nineveh and he arose from his throne and he laid his robe from him and covered him in sackcloth and satin ashes. And he caused it to be proclaimed and published through Nineveh by the decree of the king and his nobles, saying, Let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Let them not feed nor drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and cry mightily unto God. Yea, let them turn everyone from his evil way and from the violence that is in their hands. And so in verse 1, the word of the Lord came to Jonah. Verse 3, Jonah arose. Verse 4, Jonah proclaimed. In verse 5, people believed. They, they heard the words of Jonah and they responded and the, the outline of how these events took place is a little bit confusing. It seems like people began to believe, and then word went to the king, and the king's like, we, I don't know what to do, right? So let's, let's all proclaim a fast. If there's enough people in the kingdom that are following what the prophet is, or believing what the prophet has said, that they're actually going to be overthrown, that it's causing them to become repentant, he said, maybe we should make, make this a nationalistic thing, that all of Nineveh is going to go into a time of fasting. All of Nineveh is going to um, put on sackcloth. Uh, I love the, the humility as it describes the king, that he took off his, his robe from him. First, he, he stepped off of his throne. He laid down his robe, and he covered himself in sackcloth, and he sat in a pile of ashes. That's humility, right? That's him saying... Though I don't fully understand, I'm going to choose to believe that, that this act of fasting and, be, and being covered in sackcloth and ashes is going to get the attention of this God that Jonah says he is from. And so the people believed God. They, they began to fast. The king decreed that there was going to be a fast. And I love what the king goes on to say. He says um, in the middle of verse number seven, let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything, let them not feed nor drink water. There are some who talk about this idea that the animals themselves even repented, and it's like, guys, animals can't repent, right? Why did they cover the animals in ashes? To show that they were humbling and surrendering everything because of this message that they heard. That everything they'd ever used before, they, they were recognizing in some way they had been using it for evil instead of for the purposes of God. They, they were concerned about every area of their life and how they could have possibly offended this holy God that this prophet is talking about. And I think that speaks again of their, their wondering who this God was. They were wondering where they had gone wrong. And when you're wondering where you've gone wrong, don't you, don't you search every area of your life? Say, I've I got to figure out what I've done. And if if it was this, then let me correct that. If it was over here, let me correct 
that, and it's kind of like after you've had an argument, you're like, I'm sorry for all these things, and the other person's like, well, I didn't even know you did those things. Like, uh, obviously God knew, but it's like they were trying to come clean in every area of their life as to appease the wrath of this God. Now, they weren't, they weren't necessarily thinking about a good and gracious God like we know him. What were they thinking of? A wrathful, vengeful God who was going to destroy them because they deserved it. Not because he was having a bad day, but because they deserved it. And so the king makes this decree, and all the people begin to fast. They don't eat, they don't drink, they cover themselves in sackcloth and ashes. The king himself sits in ashes, and it seems as if the message of Jonah in some way got through to them. But as I said a moment ago, we have to also couple this with the idea that God was already working in their hearts in some way without them even knowing it. I've shared this before, but when uh, Brianna got saved, there was something in her that was causing her to search for something. And so she started to go to a bunch of different churches to check things out and was like, that one's weird, this is weird, this is weird. And then she came to the church that we went to in Barrie um, and Pastor Lake just preached the Bible. And she began to understand, hey, this is it. This is the truth. And I think that's a lot of our stories, right? We, we, we have searched, we have searched, we have searched, and then when we found the right thing, things begin to click. And I think that's what's happening here, that possibly God had been working in their hearts. He had been showing them the truth in some way. And when Jonah came and preached this message, they didn't understand everything, but they understood something, that this God is a very powerful God. And isn't that true with us at salvation? Who understood everything at salvation? None of us did. But what did we understand? We understand what Skylar told me the other night in the office, that I'm a sinner and I need Jesus to save me, right? That's, that's what the Ninevites were understanding, that they were a wicked people and they better do something to appease this angry God that was going to overthrow them. Any thoughts on all of those verses? Don't take too much time because we only have two minutes left. Oh, good. Nobody has anything. We'll continue on. Verse 9, it says, so as the king declares, decrees this fast, he he uh, tells everyone to cover themselves in sackcloth and ashes. Don't let the animals drink. Cover them in ashes. Verse 9 says, and this is the reason why. For who can tell if God will turn and repent and turn away from his fierce anger that we perish not? What was his desire? What did the king not want to have happen? He didn't want a city destroyed. He didn't want to die. And when you're on the brink of death, you will do some pretty crazy things to get out of death. I've never been there. I've never been in a position where I thought that I was going to die, but this king said, hey, if what this guy says is true, it's almost like he was, he was testing God, right? If, if what this prophet says is true, then it's not going to hurt for us to put on a fast and to cover ourselves with sackcloth and ashes because he might just be merciful towards us. He might just be. He wasn't fully convinced because... He was probably thinking of all the people that he had had his people slaughter who were on their knees saying, oh, forgive us, give us mercy, show us mercy. And that's what he's thinking about towards the one true God, the God that Jonah was preaching about. But he, he says in, a, in form of a question, for who can tell if God will turn and repent and turn away from his fierce anger that we perish not? I like this quote. I can't remember where I heard it, but repentance has hope in the mercy and love of God it hopes that God will relent and that the repentant people will not perish. That's what repentance is. That's what your prayer of repentance was when you trusted Christ as your Savior. 
you were believing that God was going to be gracious towards you in some way, even though you didn't deserve it. And so the king didn't know for sure if God would forgive, but he was hopeful. And aren't you thankful that we know that God will forgive? And that 1 John 1, 9 tells us that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I'm going to hit verse 10, and then we'll take a couple minutes for uh, responses after that. It says this, And God saw their works, that they turned from their evil way, and God repented of the evil that he said he would do unto them, and he did it not. Their works were a sign of repentance. Their works were the fruit of a heart that had become awakened to their need of the mercy of God. God does not just want lip service. What if the king had said, all right, everyone talk to, to Jonah's God, right? Then we'll be good. What does God want to see? He wants to see what he saw, what he wanted to see from Jonah, which was what? Some sort of, of reverential obedience to God to say, God, we're understanding. And even pagan cultures would have understood this idea of sackcloth and ashes. Uh, they would have known for those who were mourning that sackcloth and ashes were a, a common thing that they would put on and do to, to show what was going on inside of them. And there was something inside these Ninevites that, that was grieving at the thought of dying, at the thought of their city being overthrown. And so they covered themselves in sackcloth and ashes, and God saw their works, and God turned away from the evil that he was decreeing against them as, as if they hadn't changed, and he did it not. And what a story of the, the true mercy and grace of God um, towards these people who did not deserve it. And as Jonah preached it, and as he saw the repentance, we know he was not thrilled with this. But what was Jonah failing to think through as his, as his anger boiled up inside of him? His own story. He was failing to think through how God was merciful to him even when he did not deserve it. And that's honestly the sign of a... a uh, a religious Pharisee that we see in the New Testament. He deserved God's mercy. He was a prophet of God. These people didn't deserve it. Think of all the evil they've done. And yet Jonah was dismissing the evil that he had done, uh, in some ways believing that, that he deserved the forgiveness of God, but these people did not. Any thoughts on verses 9 and 10? Yes, Rebecca. <laughs> in some ways. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, I like it. And I, I do think there, there had to have been some knowledge there of the God of Israel. There had to have been some knowledge of stories that had been passed down from generation and from kingdom to kingdom to say, I mean... <laughs> To, to, to see the victories in the way that God had provided for Israel throughout all the years in the past, it had to have gotten the attention of these people in other cities. And I'm sure that these other cities did not want to face Israel to some extent because they've heard of the stories of God's victory in the past. Um, and uh, we, we don't know all the reasonings of why he repented, why he called the fast, but we do know he did 
and we knew, do know that God honored it. And I think that speaks of our God, doesn't it? That He honors those, those acts of faith and acts of obedience, even from an imperfect heart, from a heart that doesn't fully understand, He still honors those things. Any other thoughts? Yes, Stephanie. Yeah. 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 <laughs> He's done it before. <laughs> For sure. Yeah, I like that thought. Anybody else? Yes, Rodney. Yeah. But the very first time I was saved, I really thought about death as just somebody that would just die today. Mm. Where would you go? I think it was 1976, and 14 years old, what are you talking about? Yeah. Yeah, death is a powerful thing. Thinking about death is a powerful thing, and it got the attention of these people, and uh, praise God it did, because their lives were changed because of it. All right, let's close in a word of prayer, and uh, Lord willing, we'll see you Wednesday. God, we thank you again for this time that we can gather. We thank you for the book of Jonah. Uh, we thank you for the, the truths of who you are that we find within its pages, God, that uh, you are a, go a God of steadfast love, um, and I pray tonight that as we think about our relationship with you, God, that we would repent in the areas that we're off, that we would um, cling to you, uh, understanding that you are the one true God. God, may our, may our obedience first and foremost come from love. But even when the feelings of love aren't there, God, may we still be obedient to follow you in a reverential way, understanding exactly who you are. We thank you again for this time. In Jesus' name I pray.